The World Cup on off the ball, covering the good, the bad, and well, the ugly of what's happening in Qatar. Neymar can push the ball between your legs because he just sees things. Subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast feed now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. Dave McIntyre is with us. Dave, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you? What do you think of the, the Glazers selling the club? <laughs> Well, I'm, first, I'm not 100% sure they are going to be selling the club. I think a lot of Manchester United fans have jumped the gun a little bit. They're they're planning, obviously, on changing the way they're looking at things and whether that involves selling off a portion of the club, then the portion of the percentage of the club they own, or whether they're going to sell it hook, line and sinker, I don't know. But I do know that with the debt that's involved and the valuation that they're likely to pull on the club, it's going to be very difficult to find a buyer with person with uh, with pockets deep enough to actually come up with the goods because as we've seen in the recent past given the valuation i think the market cap is about 2.75 billion at the moment yeah. the talk is players are going to look for something closer to four so who's going to be able to finance that is it going to be another state is it going to be uh, and one individual that can afford that, I think that's going to be really difficult. It's It'll be something similar to Cristiano Ronaldo scraping around in the dirt looking for a Champions League club to take him during the summer. The short list, I would have thought, potentially would be very short. It's, it is pretty short. However, there's loads of um, uh, consortiums always trying to buy American football clubs. And you can imagine now an American football club is a license to print money in a way that uh, Premier League teams aren't the same guarantee because you, you're not guaranteed Champions League football every year. But Man United are guaranteed Europa League football. And anyway, let's move on because the World Cup is on and we've seen two of the greatest shocks that we're ever going to see. So what, what have been your standout highlights so far? For me, and nobody saw this coming, that Saudi Arabia would be the feel-good story of this World Cup. <laughs> but <laughs> look, here we are. Um, the second half of that game <clears throat> against Argentina was spellbinding. It really was. Not just the manner in which they came back from behind to, to go in front, but the way they defended in the last 25 minutes was, if you were a Saudi Arabia supporter, if you're a, an out-and-out defender watching from home, if you can recall those back-to-the-wall performances like um, Ireland produced at Giant Stadium, for example, against Roberto Baggio and his pals in 1994, that's the sort of performance that their defence in particular turned into the last 25 minutes. The amount of blocks, tackles, guys covering 60 metres to to harry somebody into a mistake. Um, I can't recall a World Cup match where the crowd were as loud as the Saudi Arabia fans. Every block and tackle was just greeted like they just stuck one into the top corner. It, I was in, absolutely enraptured by that last 25 minutes. It was it, it just incredible to watch. So for me to take a small portion of what we've seen in the last week, that last 20, 25 minutes for me was the highlight so far. Uh, are you concerned that that's the end of Leo Messi in Argentina? Do you think they can come back from this? Well, look, people keep pointing towards Spain in 2010 as an example of a side that lost their opening game, went on to win it. I think the talk around this Argentina team was greatly overhyped coming in. They seem to be wearing their long unbeaten stretch like a badge of honour, despite the fact that they barely played any European teams. And outside of Brazil and Uruguay, there are very few sides of any real strength in the South American qualifying system. They did win the Copa America, I grant you that. That was a huge moment for Leo Messi and the overall picture of his career. But I look at their starting eleven, and I don't see an awful lot that can hurt the opposition outside of Lautaro Martinez if he's given the right sort of ball. The rest of the players are not elite top-level European players playing at the top European clubs 
for whom there are a number of other clubs chasing every transfer window. Leo Messi, a lot of made of his form at PSG this season, where he doesn't have to do an awful lot apart from wait for the ball. He can drop a bit deeper if he wants. But he was smothered by Saudi Arabia. And in the last 25 minutes, you would barely know that the so-called greatest player of his generation was on the field. And this is against potentially the weakest team in the group outside of Costa Rica. So they still have to play in one other really tough game. And I would fear for them now. I, I don't see them getting out of this group. I don't see them winning the two matches that they'll probably need to do to get out of the group. They created very few chances in the second half. First half, yeah, a couple of marginal offsides away from the game being put to bed. Would have been a very different story then, I grant you that. And they probably could have gone on to win by five or six. But the dent that their confidence would have taken here, I wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me now if they actually failed to win the two games, maybe get one win and limp out as we saw Gabriel Batistuta's side limp out in the 1990s, it, it could be a similar story to that. It would be a rather ignominious end to Leo Messi's World Cup journey in, in what is his fifth World Cup. But he's in his mid-30s now, and he's not able to affect games the way he used to. He's not able to take a game and carry it on his own shoulders like he used to, because he's just not the force he once was. Well, isn't the whole point that like you don't get to write your exit uh, of glorious triumph at the World Cup? Like Very, very few sports people ever get to do that. And for Messi, it was probably four years ago when he still was something close to his absolute peak, when he could put the team on his shoulders when he needed to. And they ran into the buzzsaw of killing Mbappe. And that's the passing of the torch that we saw at that stage. And Mbappe is still the best player in the world. Yeah, I agree completely that four years, maybe eight years ago was... was But even then, Jared, do you recall a World Cup that was dominated by Leo Messi where... Like we, we keep comparing everything to Maradona in 1986, a guy that just took the tournament on his own and showed everybody why he was the best player in the world. Now, the rest of that Argentina side in Mexico was probably a little underrated because they were so dominated by one of the greatest players we've ever seen. But if you go through that Argentina team, it was littered with really brilliant footballers. And I'm just not sure that Messi has had that around and when other teams have managed to stifle him a little. And that's very much to the fore with this Argentina team. You're looking at Angel Di Maria in his mid-30s. He had an appalling game the other day and he was, wasn't was taken off at halftime, which he should have been. His end product was virtually nil, given this is a player who's had more assists than any other for PSG in their club's history. He was an absolutely phenomenal crosser of the ball and created so many opportunities for his teammates over such a long period of time. But you saw that he is half the player he used to be and if Di Maria is in that Argentina team as a starter trying to feed an attacker and Leo Messi that's also in his mid-30s I think that tells you a lot about the lack of depth that they have in, in their numbers and it's one of the reasons why when Scaloni was looking behind him at his bench there was very little of anything that he felt he could call upon How much uh, Dave can you read into the big teams winning their first game handily like Jay mentioned uh, France of course Australia weren't exactly the, the dominant opposition that maybe they're, they're going to face uh, the remainder of the tournament same for England against Iran and similar for, for Spain last night against Costa Rica like can you read into any of those results and performances and maybe say one of them stands out above the rest well, I think England scoring as many goals as they did is going to relieve an awful lot of the pressure on them and it just gets them off to the best possible start. Gareth Southgate was able to make changes and get as many minutes as into, into as, as many players as he could. So like 16 guys felt they were part of the World Cup already and 
the, the fact that Harry Kane didn't score and they still managed to score six and in saying that Harry Kane was able to contribute to as many of the goals as he did I think that'll be huge for them but a lot of it is down to the start that you get in the first half and this is where Argentina are the exception to the rule because they got the start that they were looking for they got the penalty which was dubious and they found themselves one up and dominating the game which is exactly where Scaloni would have wanted them to be at that particular moment in that match they didn't kick on whereas England got their goal and kicked on. We saw France overcoming that early uh, deficit against Australia and kicking on and getting the goals that saw the game put to bed before the opposition could really start generating some belief that they were in this and there was something in the game for them. And it's why I look at the game like, from Saudi Arabia's point of view, as the longer they were in that game, Suddenly they believed in what they could achieve. Japan, it was the exact same situation, found themselves behind, but they were in it long enough for them to continue to believe that there was something in it for them. And I, the, the key theme for me this week, outside of France demolishing Australia, has been a very obvious narrowing of the gap between the continents, between Africa and Asia in particular, and Europe, because... I think we saw the kernels of that in Russia in 2018, but we didn't get the shocks over a 90-minute spell that we've got this time around. There are so many players playing for countries like Senegal, Morocco, Japan that are playing in the top leagues in Europe week in, week out. They're playing in the Champions League. They're playing in the Europa League. And that is a higher level than the World Cup. Let's face it. There are very few teams in the World Cup with seven or eight world-class individuals where you can pick out a number of clubs in the Champions League that you could argue do have seven or eight world-class individuals in them. And these players, when they get together in camp for three or four weeks and they manage to put together a game plan, they don't fear what in the past they might have been coming up against in the World Cup. And it's why... The teams like Argentina, like Brazil potentially today, like Germany as we saw, like Belgium last night, who are absolutely blessed to get out of that game with a one-goal win. They're coming up against sides, and when they take to the field against them, 100% believe that they're able to get something out of the game. And when you couple that with the fact that the top sides have had a week to prepare, unlike other World Cups where they go into, say, Russia or in 2014 in Brazil, they've had three or four weeks in a camp together to rest their limbs, to get themselves into what the game plan is going to be. The manager can implement the tactics. These top managers for the top European countries haven't had that time. So you add that into the mix, and I think we're seeing a trend that's going to continue into the next 10 or 15 years, that the so-called lesser continents, so-called countries from those continents are getting stronger and stronger because they're all playing in Europe. They're all playing in the Europa League and Champions League. And the two huge shocks that we saw this week, I think are going to be repeated over the next decade. And, and over the next week or so? I really hope so, because when you've no skin in the game, as we don't, obviously, with the Republic of Ireland not being involved, you sit down to watch a World Cup game for exactly what we saw this week. And I was gripped yesterday watching the second half of the Japan-Germany game. And the uh, this sense of freedom that you, the Japanese played with in that second half. And those two second halves, I've already referenced the highlight being the second half of the Saudi game. They're the most enjoyable portions of the tournament for me so far. So I really hope, Jerry, that you're right. And we see another two or three of these. And I think we will, because if anything, what the Japanese and the Saudi Arabian players have achieved is the opportunity to embolden the other teams. And it, you sat down, you watched the way that Canada started that game. Last I was going to say, yeah, Canada, yeah. Very few of those players would be 
you, you, fans in this part of the world would be familiar with them, apart from some of the European-based players, you know, the exceptions being Junior Hoylett and Alfonso Davis and those guys. But there was five or six of that starting eleven that a lot of people would not have heard of before, and yet they ran the legs off an ageing Belgian side. Would they have settled for maybe trying to keep things a little more compact, keep things tight for the first 20 minutes if Saudi Arabia and Japan hadn't achieved what they had in the previous two days. Maybe that was always going to be their belief, but perhaps not. Perhaps they see what's going on in the group stage, the dynamic that's already at play in Qatar, and they're starting to think, well, if they can do it, why can't we? Look at this Belgian defence. You've got Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld in their mid-30s. And Witzel protecting them in his mid-30s. There's no reason why our youth and exuberance can't really take it to them. And they sh- if they had a decent striker, they would have been 3 or 4-0 up by the time the Belgians scored. Yeah, or they've come up against the goalkeeper, who is going to end up being an Oliver Kahn-style, one of the most important figures in the competition all the way through. And, and this Belgian team might not play to the level that we think they're capable of, but might not lose a game because they've got the best goalkeeper in the world. I'm not debating with you that Thibaut Courtois is either the best or one of the best goalkeepers in the world right now. But honestly, Jerry, you would have saved that penalty last night. <laughs> some of the other ones, some of the chances. I don't know. I, I do think part of it is like, shit, this is Courtois, you know? Yeah, an awful lot of it is that he's just an absolutely monstrous looking individual. And if you are taking a penalty against him, probably in your mind, it's like a, a golfer who's really struggling with his putting. The hole just looks incredibly small. Well, that goal must look very small when Thibaut Courtois is dancing around his goal line. But there was one save in the second half, a header heading for the top corner that he just made look so routine. And mm. He's an absolutely fabulous goalkeeper, yes. But the vast majority of the saves he made last night, you would absolutely expect him to All make. Right. You're not happy. I think he's going to he's going to concede a few goals in this tournament against a team that are more clinical and have more talent up front than the Canadians. I'm trying to find the. Uh, I'm just looking at the fixtures for today, Dave. I'm trying to find the next shock. Like a lot of people are sleeping on. Like I know Brazil are the tournament favourites, and probably rightly so. But like, are people sleeping on on the, on the Serbian team? Like we know Serbia very well from the from the Nations League group, and look, they beat Portugal, and they're impressive. Lavic and and Mitrovic, they, they they can score goals. They're strong, good defensively as well. Like. I don't know. Like, is there a potential shock on the cards in this Brazil game later on? Opening game, anything could happen. Uh, there absolutely is a potential for a shock, but let's be honest, Serbia beating Brazil later today doesn't compare remotely yeah, of course. victories for Saudi Arabia and for Japan. This is a Serbian team that were absolutely brilliant in qualifying, topped their group, put Portugal into second place, had one of the best strikers in the world over the last 12-month spell in the team who was scoring so freely both in the championship now in the Premier League and at international level the big issue is is Mitrovic fully fit he didn't play in Fulham's last two Premier League games and they are an entirely different side if he is not in the team now he's going to start today but whether he is as sharp as he has been over the last 12 months if he is he's the sort of striker that needs three or four chances and he'll take at least two of those. That's the level of efficiency that he has in front of goal at the moment. And I completely expect Serbia to create opportunities today, given that it is the first game. Now, it is a very good Brazilian team. They have a really solid defence. They've got Casemiro in front of them and they've got a wealth of talent, both on the field and on the bench. They do need, do need to change things up, which is in stark contrast to Argentina when they did need to change it. They just did not have the options. I think Brazil do have the options. I'm hoping this is 
is going to be the game of the tournament in terms of two relatively uh, good sides scoring goals against each other, like something like a 2-2 draw. But if you're looking for the next great shock, Serbia win today will not go down mm. in the annals of history as a great shock. There probably isn't one there today. I mean, if Ghana beating Portugal wouldn't be a massive shock either. We probably do have to go towards tomorrow game, tomorrow's games and maybe looking at something like Ecuador beating the Netherlands for, for the next really intriguing one. But it won't happen today. But that's not to say that today, in terms of the overall quality, may not be the best day that we've had so mm. far. We um, we obviously were reading lots into the Ronaldo body language and his arrival. And then they obviously have explained what happened. And I'm, I'm taking their their explanation at face value. Shane is a conspiracy well, I accept, theorist. I accept it now. I accept it. Yeah, Bruno is. Uh, however, I'm, I'm absolutely overreacting to Casemiro's challenge on Richarlison in training that went a bit viral. I, I mean, I, I have once before seen somebody in a training session absolutely annihilate somebody and it was Carlos Puyol and Patrick Clivert uh, at a Barcelona training session one time. We interviewed Clivert afterwards. It, sounded, it smelled a little like he'd been on the booze the night before and, and Puyol was letting him know. It's unacceptable. I just thought Richarlison, it just doesn't look to me like he's one of those characters who you really want to live with week in, week out for four weeks. <laughs> I think he might be a bit annoying. And I don't know. That's the only thing that like, we never understand, the, the, the tectonic plates of um, how well a team actually blends together. You'd have to say Brazil are absolute mad favourites to win this. France might give them a go, but their central midfield pairing doesn't look like it's going to be... Um, as strong as it needs to be and maybe not their um, uh, fullback situation either so uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that if Brazil aren't going to win it it's because they um, fall into a configuration of Neymar and Charlatan's making <laughs> <laughs> Yeah well look we, we, we've seen so little of Brazil up against European teams for so long now so I think there we just have to hold fire on, on all of these teams until we see them play at least from a European point of view we've seen the Nations League we've seen the European Championships just 18 months ago we've got a far greater sample size than we have with them it's a Brazil team that couldn't get past Argentina uh, last year at the Cup America final so yes they dominated qualifying on paper huge amount of great names but Brazilian squads have gone to World Cups in the past with on paper an absolutely amazing glittering squad of stars and they have fallen flat on their face so that could happen again this time around I, I think today will probably end in a draw. Both of these teams will get out of their group and it's just a question of then whether they can just click into gear and start playing to the potential that they undoubtedly have. But I'm, I haven't got an awful lot to say in Brazil as yet outside of their potential until we can really get a, a better look at them today. All right, go and have a look at the Casemiro Challenge. I think uh, that's a shut up. I thought it was. I thought it was a well-timed, uh, cheeky it, little challenge. A bit, bit heavy, a bit heavy for training. <laughs> if he, it, if he like, caught oh, him, that's, that's like... Trouble. Casemiro is the kind of guy that, that treats every training session as he would a match. I'd yeah. say he's a very similar kind of guy to a Roy Keane in that regard. And let's face it, if you were to put in a bone-crunching tackle on any member of that squad and get any more relish out of it, who else would it be only than Richarlison? Yeah. All right. 15 minutes past eight, Dave, this morning. Thanks many for joining us. Cheers. Thanks, lads. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent moves.